Welcome. Welcome to The Odd Pod, everyone. I'm your host, yours truly, Luca Menicali, coming to you from The Odd Shack. This is your one hour a week of fact spitting on another miserable Monday. Whether you're driving, falling asleep in class, or on your way to work, one hour of unfiltered takes and opinions on the hottest topics in sports with some occasional social commentary. Let's get started. On this week's podcast, the Odd Pod will talk about college sports after coronavirus and why the hypocrisy of the NCAA is just once again resurfacing. More on that later. Segment number two is an exclusive interview with one of the best people I know, Tom Kicker, where we talk about everything from his Buffalo Bills to coronavirus and quarantine tips. And then our hottest topic of the day is basketball-related once again, the Hall of Fame inductees and why I think Tim Duncan had a better career than Kobe Bryant and obviously than Kevin Garnett. More on that later. Coming up next, The Odd Pod. Okay, segment number one. Let's get the show on the road. We will start this week's podcast with talking about college sports after coronavirus, and we will focus this week's segment on specifically college football, and as you'll soon realize, um, Division One college football. Okay, first of all, this is not news to anybody, okay? I'm not blowing anybody's mind by saying that the NCAA is looking absolutely ridiculous and all-around foolish once again with all of this talk about sports coming back, and specifically their sports. So, okay, I'm obviously a sports fan, super fan, uh, as you all know, and I'm all for sports trying everything they can to play again, even if that is playing without fans or in a remote location or in an unconventional time frame. You know, we're talking about the NBA playoffs happening in, in, in August. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But I think all of that talk should be limited to professional sports. I mean, it, that is where I draw the line. And first, the first thing that clearly jumps out here is that if we consider college football, Division I college football for a second, if you really want to play... Um, the season as is scheduled right now and say you want to play without fans. Uh, you got to test a lot more players than any of the professional leagues. There are countless Division One football teams. Um, but that is not really the point that I'm making here. I mean, that would only really intensify the already existing debate that the haves get to get access to coronavirus tests, whereas the have-nots just simply do not get the same access as it's always been. Obviously, this this debate applies to Division One only because, I mean, the NCAA couldn't give two shits about Division Three sports. There's no TV money coming in from that. Um, so say, say that does happen. Say the NCAA figures out a way to come back, say, on the current schedule for Division One college football. 
if that happens, how on earth can you come out with a straight damn face and call your players student athletes? Uh, all of that gets thrown out the window immediately. And I'm sure their lawyers will come up with a crafty uh, definition or with a crafty explanation as to you know, why what they're doing still falls under the concept of student athlete. If we needed to, if we need new evidence that the NCAA really doesn't care, not that we didn't believe it before, but it's just another example, glaring example, that they don't give a shit about their students and athletes. This is it. This is literally it. Okay. And I know there are a lot of factors involved in college sports. Okay. There are a lot of things that go into it. There are different things at stake for players and coaches. And obviously don't know what it's like to play a division one sport, let alone football. But if I were the players, if I were on any one of these teams, I would refuse to play without fans. Because how on earth can you say that you think of them as students? I mean, the colleges might still be remote, but you let the student, athlete, the student athletes on campus to get exposed potentially to God knows what. I mean, you can only incubate so much. You, you can only um, keep them in a, in, a, in a confined space so much. And not that they weren't before, but then they would really be treated as professional athletes. And they would have to go back to campus or wherever the hell they're going to practice and still not see a penny of the billions that come in from TV money and ad money. And obviously the coaches are still going to get paid. So in general, and to sum this up, I think that this is a golden opportunity, if done properly, if taken from the right angle and the right perspective, this is a golden opportunity to bring about some change in Division I college sports. And who knows, maybe um, it'll translate to, you know, from football to basketball. But if the NCAA had the balls and the courage to bring Division I football back without fans and virtually force players to play without pay, I mean, that is the one thing that you need. That is the one example that you need and to just slap on their face and say, what the hell are you doing? And we are not going to take this any longer. It obviously requires so many people to buy in. Maybe too many. And I know it's, it's an impossible feat. The NCAA, I don't know how much they pay their lawyers, but they obviously have good ones because they're still operating under this ludicrous assumption that their players are considered students first because that is not the case. So you want to play without fans? Um, okay, why are you not bringing back the other students? I mean, at the end of the day, we are just like them. Aren't we students? Uh, but no, we got to have remote lectures and remote exams and all of that. So this is my quick rant on the NCAA once, once again proving to be 
the most hypocritical organization in sports. But coming up next, segment number two, we have an interview with Tom Kickert. More on that later. This is The Odd Pod. Thank you for listening. Segment number two, we now welcome our very first guest. We are extremely pleased and honored to welcome this individual. This is a man that I have known since before I could grow a beard and has a ridiculous range. This man played multiple varsity sports in high school, uh, ranging from track, cross country, lacrosse, basketball, some tennis, uh, but he was also nominated Mr. Whitman, circa 2012, starred in multiple theater plays uh, as one of the lead roles, uh, ended up playing college lacrosse and rose to the ranks to become the president of a very large marketing club while in college. One of the funniest dudes I have ever met, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Kickard. Welcome to the Odd Pod, Tom. Wow, such an introduction. My mother doesn't even talk about me like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's let, let's get right to it. Uh, how, how you been, my man? I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, I've been good. You know, this coronavirus shit is just, it's dwelling on me too much. You know, they're saying at work, I'm not even potentially going back until April 27th, now beginning of May, potentially. And that's if, Jesus. you know, we, we already get past the curve. But the problem is, is more and more cases keep happening. And I mean, you're in Maryland, so it's like, I don't know what the situation is there. I really haven't been paying attention to it. But in New York, it's just like the worst. I think one third of cases are coming from New York State. Alone. Yeah, dude, I read something earlier today that New York State itself has more cases and deaths than I can actually know maybe not deaths but cases than like any country like outside of the U.S. like it's that big of a problem yeah. but I mean yeah I mean I, I know you're you're not in New York City which is the main you know the focal point of the virus but uh, I mean it sounds like even up there under strict uh, stay-at-home orders for the most part right yeah I mean I'll say it and I won't say it too many times, but I'm a big proponent that like, I think New York city and New York, like upstate New York should be two different States. It's never going to happen, but you know, there's not that many cases. Obviously there are, I think there's like over 700 in Rochester, but relatively there's not like a hundred thousand in upstate New York. You know what I mean? Like maybe like collectively, maybe there's like 2,500, but I think a lot of things that like Cuomo has been saying, like, so for instance, like, dude, I've been like trying to get golfing. Like I thought I was going to use all this time to go golfing. And then like two days ago, Cuomo was like, yeah, now uh, you can't golf. You can't go boating. You can't like be near any Marina. Now they shut down all the marinas, which really screws my summer, you know, living in the finger lakes. And I don't understand that because honestly, like when you're golfing, you're not like breathing down each other's necks. You're, relatively far away from each other and the only rule they made before was just riding different carts yeah and, and actually on on that note i mean golf is one of the few sports that you can probably play you know like i guess it's nice when there are fans out there and okay i'm gonna go on the record i'm i don't watch golf a ton but what i do know is that it's a pretty uh it's an individual sport and everybody's pretty spread out i mean you can avoid shaking hands or high-fiving somebody you know at the end but for the most part i mean especially when you, when you 
think about like amateur golf, like something that you would do. You would just be in someone else at a golf course. But I, I think it's always tough because um, as soon as you like give people a little bit of leeway, then people are going to try to interpret it all different kinds of way. And, you know, they're yeah. maybe, maybe they're going to try and go on a golf course to eat at the club or something along those lines. Um, so, well, no, they, they closed the golf, the, they closed the pro shop. So like I went golfing the day before they made the rule and they closed the pro shop. They closed the driving range. They took all of the pins out of the holes. So that we weren't grabbing anything. Um, everybody had to ride in their own carts and they like, disinfected the steering wheels and everything every single time somebody was in one. So it wasn't like they were like not taking precautions, but I don't know. I mean, like here's the, here's the catch 22. You get caught boating, you get caught near Marina, you get caught doing anything that you're told not to. Now you you can get fined. Like, I think it's like a $2,000 fine. Now, like they talked about, I think like California was like the first kind of case where like they're enforcing violations I remember reading like somebody was walking their dog in, in LA and you know, like they said, you can't be doing that. And then the person got a $2,000 fine. So now it's kind of like correlating to like, you know, New York kind of, I mean, I don't know what the fine and like the stipulations are with that, but dude, like they're taking it pretty serious. Like you get yeah, caught out. Golfing and, I mean, for me, like I was sneaking on a golf course literally last week. Like I was golfing <laughs> anyways. So like, I guess like I could really be screwed if I got caught, but. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that again. <laughs> but no, I, I'll tell you something. I mean, you know, my family lives in Italy, right? And they have all different kinds of uh, laws in place that, you know, put in temporarily now where you can get fined. Um, I don't know what the what, what the limit is as of now, but I know that there are a ton of violations, even with even as they keep rising limit. I, I saw a story the other day where they caught somebody jogging like by the beach and and a cop saw him and he pretty much told him to stop and go home. And the guy kept running and he, you know, and, and then it turned into a foot race. And then he obviously ended up being caught and fined and he was fined like $5,000. Yeah. Like when you think about it, like how bad can your urge be to be outside and run? They're willing to risk that kind of money because I mean, they didn't come up with that number on the spot. I'm sure that it was in the stipulation, you know, I guess based on, how serious it is, like how serious the infraction is. If you're truly, uh, you know, caught, you know, and it, it looks pretty innocent, then it might be like a pretty small fine. But if you know you're outside, then you shouldn't be. And then you try to avoid getting caught. Then, I mean, then I, I think it is only fair that you get fined more because that, I mean, that, that was a little story, but everybody heard about it. I think that's, that's the point to try to make it a deterrent for other people. Yeah. And as Italy is coming down, you know, Italy is actually coming down on, on cases. It really looks like they've turned the corner and they're trying to figure out ways to reopen slowly. Um, but no, it, you, it's, it's crazy. Did you hear how they're saying now that like the coronavirus didn't actually start from, like didn't get into the U S from like Wuhan, China. Did you hear that they're, they, they followed the flight patterns and they think like it came from Europe into the U S a Europe passenger. They don't know exactly what transaction or what passage it was, but they looked at the flight patterns and they're like within this certain time frame in the direct area that like, I don't, again, like I don't know what specific case was the first case. I think it maybe might've been in Chicago in the U S or maybe it was Washington. State. Well, yeah. Well, see, he, here's the problem. The first confirmed case was in Washington, but as we know, 
a lot of people can carry this thing without even knowing it. And so, yes, the first case was found in the state of Washington, but especially with the amount of traffic that there is between China and the U.S. on a daily basis and, you know, like major international hubs like Chicago or New York, it is, it is likely probable I think that it could have I been. I still think that like China started all of it. It's not like started, but like it started in China, definitely. And it was just a trickle down thing. Maybe like from China to Europe, Europe to the U.S. I don't know. Like I, that's above my pay grade, but all I know is that it's pretty much ruining my summer. So yeah. like I, it's not even summer yet, but like everything's canceled. Concerts, you know, all the festivals in Rochester. It's. Oh, it's and, and that is really going to be probably the last thing that they open again, like big venues, clubs, bars, you know, that's really oh, the last, yeah. you know, that's, that's the last item on the priority list when you think about it. Yeah, it sucks. Cause it's like, I mean, at this point, I don't even know. And I mean, I'm not working right now either, like unemployment, which is kind of ridiculous right now. I don't know if you heard of, did you hear about the whole thing with the $600 in New York state? I actually meant to tell you about this. So uh, I guess I have not. I mean, what's, what's I'm not story? even joking. So it's like a ridiculous thing that's going on right now. So um, everybody knows that like, you know, for those that have been unemployed or are unemployed because of COVID-19, it's been pretty much a bitch to try to get your application processed and everything like that. Okay. Well, cause the volume has got to be so large. Yeah. I think like 6 million people like are unemployed or like filed for unemployment last week or something along those lines in the U S right. but to kind of go through the process, basically what happened was I was unemployed because of this. I filed for unemployment. I got really lucky because apparently from what I understand is that when you file, you also have to call in to verify your information but they knocked 20% of the people that, you know, filed to not do that because of like the, the volume, like they don't have enough workers there to, you know, answer these questions. So my stuff went through um, and then I filed and I was originally getting like $328 like a week. It's not a lot of money to be honest with you. A, a However, week, yeah, it's, I mean, it's barely to get, to get by if you really yeah. consider everything. Yeah. Then, um, I don't know if I, I heard it was like Chuck Schumer, who's our, our New York state Senator. It's and one then of your senators. Cuomo, yeah. 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 Cuomo was like working together. Um, dude, they passed the thing where like, they don't believe that like minimum wage or the max you can get in unemployment in New York state is $504. They don't believe that that's enough due to those circumstances. Right. So dude, straight up, they're giving everybody their unemployment plus an additional $600 every single week. So I'm making $928 a week. That's pretty good. Well, see, not that, working that, at all. that's good. But something I wanted, you know, my follow-up is, so what happened with the 20%? Like, were they able to figure that out and get those on payroll? Oh, so, well, the people that, like, I was a part of the 20% that didn't have to, like, do additional steps. Oh, so, so wait, 20%, I, so 80% were kicked off. The way no, like, like some people are still having problems with just like filing in general. Like, okay. I'm just saying, like I, I'm, from what I understand, I've had people tell me that you have to call in to verify your unemployment file. Like you right. have to file a claim it's called. Um, and I've heard like people say like, Oh, I have to call in and there's additional step and I can't get my stuff to go through all the way because it's just not, you know, it's not working. Like 6 million people are calling in and it's just not working. So I got very lucky and like, I've never had any issues pretty much from the get go. 
Um, I still have people that I work with that can't even get a hold of like anybody over at Department of Labor and they still don't have any money. But think about it this way. So I'm going to owe a lot of money in taxes. I'm going to probably, if I, if I make, I mean, let's just round it up to about 5,000. Like, let's say I make a thousand dollars a week and like, by the time I go back to work, I've made $5,000. Right. I chose not to have my federal and state tax. You get taxed on unemployment. It's crazy. And it's like 12, it's like 10%, I think federal 2.5% state, or maybe it's other way around. I don't know. I'm going to owe like roughly $600 in taxes just from like this whole situation. So I think a lot of people are going to be, you know, excuse my language, but I think a lot of people are going to be fucked by like the end of the year because they're not going to (laughs) realize all of this money is coming in and like, Dude, I was like going to Walmart today. I was ready. To, I was telling my roommate, I was like, yeah, like, let's buy it. Let's buy like a 55 inch TV right now. Like, let's go. I'm going to have this money again in a week. Like, you know, plus, plus, I mean, plus you're, you're getting, uh, Trump's money, aren't you? Yeah. So I'm going to get the 1200 from stimulus. And then also, uh, I've been like helping my friend, you know, just like casually doing some work with him. Um, okay. And I'm going to legally say I just happened to, at the end of the work shift, find some money on the ground. Um, cause you, when you're unemployed, you can't <laughs> be working. So I just happened to help my yeah. friend free and then, you know, I just happened to find like some money on the ground and it always seems like, Hey, look, uh, the luck favors the bold or whatever the saying is, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So you, uh, you've been lucky during this quarantine. Let's put it that way. Uh, what yeah. else, what else what have you been doing to, to keep yourself busy during this time? Um, well, I've been, well, here's one thing, you know, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty Warzone. I don't know if you know what that is. You've been playing that. Or, you don't have an Xbox. You can actually play this on your PC, dude. It's actually a lot of fun. I'm not a huge Call of Duty fan, and I don't know if this is going to make me lose followers, but what I'll say is that <laughs> um, I've mostly played sports games growing up, and I don't have a an Xbox or a PlayStation at the moment, but if I were to get one, I would probably just buy fifa madden 2k and just yeah well if you're trying to get spanked in fifa let me know uh well i'll let you know because it's not gonna happen but yeah (laughs) um but anyways so warzone is pretty much fortnite but like call of duty version and it's free and like my buddies and i we play that we've been playing that for like three weeks every single night jump on at 11 to like 11 to 2 and then play that um been watching i watched and finished Game of Thrones, the entire series. Wait, there's something I wanted to say, because how late have you been staying up? Bro, I stay up, sometimes it's between 3 to 4 a.m., and then I wake up at noon. Like I know, right? Last the night. Whole, and, the and, whole I, and, and I get it, it was a Saturday, but last night, I mean, it was Friday. Um, no, wait, it was Saturday. Saturday, yeah. Um, last night, um, I was up till probably 4.30, and I didn't even, you know how sometimes you stay up late at night, you those off for like 20 minutes, nothing. I was completely wide awake until like 4.30 just watching. I mean, switching between YouTube clips and documentaries on Netflix. Bro, you know what you need to get? I have found the answer to restless, restless sleep. Now, you're not helping yourself if you're drinking coffee or whatever the hell, like at four in the morning. Like that's your fault. But dude, I actually just bought blue light glasses. Do you know what blue light glasses are? Yeah, of course. I I actually have them at work, and I probably should grab them to work. The UV it, they they block UV the blue light like and you know when you're looking at computer screens for a long period. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. dude. So I I wear those, um, 
and then like so like i mean obviously like i'm watching tv playing game video games stuff like that um i just find that like i i end up staying relatively awake and i just can't fall asleep with all the blue lights so i wear those and it, it's it's nice um so i was just gonna say you should probably wear those looking no i do have them although i remember because when i started working i didn't have them and then i quickly realized that i used to get home at like 5 30 or whatever and I, my eyes would be just dead like i was ready to go to sleep after work and i you know after sitting down for eight hours straight but just staring at a screen the whole time so then i bought these glasses and and immediately i realized that i was not as tired um as as before but then i'm thinking okay wait is this the glasses or is this the placebo effect of me having the glasses and having paid the kind of money that i shelled out for the fucking glasses because quickly after i mean i'm not gonna say that i come home dead tired or ready to run a marathon but i'm definitely not as uh, full of energy as I was like the first day that I had the glasses. Dude, this is, uh, I, one thing that I noticed. So dude, I, I put like a lip in one time. At work. I, no, no, not at work. When I was like here, like last week I put a lip in. Oh, you still, you still packing lips? Well, yeah. Like, and I, you know, like what else am I going to do? Yeah, um, man. but I, I put a lip in and then I put these glasses on, dude, I, they say they're supposed to help with like headaches I actually got a worse headache. I was like, I had to take the glasses off because I thought I was going to throw up. Well, who knows know what kind of uh, energies and waves were being conflicted in your head between uh, the light being distorted and whatever. The, I never dip, but whatever the dip gets you. Yeah, it's all right. You know, it's not, it's not ideal, but neither is drinking, <laughs> but yet we do it all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I heard um, there's a huge spike in alcohol sales. I mean, it only makes sense to me. Uh, but no, I wanted to go back to what you said. So you said you completely binged Game of Thrones. Yeah, so I was watching Game of Thrones. Um, to put this in perspective, uh, an hour episode every single episode, roughly. And then for the first six seasons, there are 10 episodes. And then the seventh and eighth one, I think there's six of them? Six, yeah, six or seven. So there's not a lot of episodes like in the last two, but... Um, we started that and finished it within a little over two weeks. So it took a little over two weeks. And that was every night watching like four, every single night watching about five hours worth, um, roughly, you know, uh, ridiculous. I mean, that show, it's one of those shows that I always talk about, like you got to watch the first season just to watch it. And then it, it builds after that. And my perfect example with like, this is breaking bad. It literally took me like six months. Oh, careful what you say, okay? Great, great, great great series. I loved it. Like the first season took me like six months to watch because I thought it was boring. Like I couldn't get into it. And then like everyone just kept saying like, push through, push through. How does the pilot not get you excited? The pilot is like, it's like a firestorm. No, not really. Dude, it's like not even like, the first episode sucks. I'm not lying. Like, I'm not saying that it was a bad series. I loved the series. It was great. Yeah. Who doesn't love watching people cook meth, you know, like, <laughs> but no, but like, um, Game of Thrones, good, you know, a lot of, a lot of incest, a lot of sex, um, a lot of crazy, um, twists and stuff. I was, I was really happy with the way that they, um, you know, kind of completed the series. Um, maybe not the ideal ending, which I'm not going to spoil, but 
perfect example is like Walking Dead. I loved Walking Dead, but the fact that they're on like season like I don't even know 15, 20, I, I stopped watching because I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, a good series ends when it's time to end it. There really oh. is a an upper limit on a lot of these series. Uh, I don't know if you ever got into it, but I was huge uh, Money Heist fan. You ever you ever got around that? What show? I never heard of that. Money Heist. Uh, it's a Spanish show in Europe. It it completely took over. But the thing is, they had the first two seasons be really good, really good, and then they had a third season that came out a little less than a year ago, and it looked like I mean there just wasn't any much more that they could do, and then they come out with a fourth season just a couple of weeks ago, which obviously I watched because I'm a sucker for the show, but a lot of the things that happened just like didn't make a ton of sense, even though I still watched it in like two sittings. I watched like eight episodes in like two nights. Listen, uh, this is, this is my analogy. It's like this. It's like you're watching a porno and you really want to skip the first five minutes. Cause you don't care what the teacher's like <laughs> degrees in. You don't care what's wrong with the patient and the doctor has to come in and look and you want to get right to the chunk of it. But then you do it and you feel bad at the end because you're like, wow, I just missed all this content. I just went for like, you know, the best scene. And then I felt bad at the end, you know, it's kind of what Game of Thrones is. You got to watch the meat. You got to watch the, uh, you know, the, the build up, you know, and then when you get to that, like those scenes that are like everybody's dying to see, it just makes it more worth it. You know, you, you can really unappreciate like why characters are doing everything, you know. I can literally say in Game of Thrones who they're fucking, you know, literally. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Great series. If you got the time, um, I would definitely watch. Yeah, I, think, I think I would have to really run out of things to watch. I mean, I'm not just coming from, uh, you know, a place where I don't, where I'm completely shielded off from that. But there are just a lot of other genres that I like to watch first before I get to something like that. And who knows? Maybe I'll get in this quarantine I'll watch Game of Thrones and maybe I'll get into it, but dude, um, if you watch the first series or the first season, you'll be hooked. I already know you, Luca. Like, you just won't stop watching. Well, it. I'll tell I, you what I'll, t- you I'll tell it. you what I did get hooked on, and that was Tiger King. Oh, I mean, I, I didn't watch it twice. I mean, I don't think I'll ever watch it twice. Um, it just it didn't sit well with me with the whole like animal abuse stuff. But wait, um, can we talk about? Can I can I like really dive into the show or like do I have to like? not talk about like spoilers I, at this point if you haven't watched it you're not gonna watch it like what have you been doing for three and a half weeks that's my opinion oh yeah go ahead say whatever you want okay before you say anything everybody listening at home abroad or wherever there are gonna be spoilers for tiger king so you can skip ahead first thing that like well the biggest issue that i had with the show is it pretty much just abused the fact that like tiger's it doesn't really have anything to do with tigers. Like, tigers are the vehicle for, like, all this bullshit. Like, it really just turned into a crime mystery. That's really what it was about. You know, and I felt bad for these tigers. But at the same time, you know, anybody that's listening that's a PETA, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I'm not supporting animal cruelty. But tigers that are born in captivity don't know life without captivity. There are more tigers in captivity than there are wild. So yeah, that that's wrong. That's I would, wrong. I would say that I would say if you take a tiger from the wild and like put it in captivity, that's horrible. That's wrong. But 
if you're keeping a tiger, like I would say that like a tiger born and raised in captivity, not for entertainment purposes, like just for the fact that they're living, you know, they're like an endangered species, but clearly for the fact that yeah, they're like, just for the fact that they're living, you know, if you're actually providing them like a, like a loving area, I don't have anything wrong with that. You know, like well, but somebody Zion could is, come back to you. Somebody could come back to you and say, um, it is in their nature, their animalistic instinct that if they are, if they were to be in the wild, they would fare just fine because that's what they're supposed to be doing. That's where they're meant to be. I mean, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is you, you could make that argument for somebody like, and it, and it would stand pretty well, I would say for say like a dog or a cat, because yeah. for so many centuries we have pretty much exterminated the, not exterminated, but like we have the wild dog. And it, yeah. We have domesticated them to an extent where like, evolution worked in that direction whereas domesticating a tiger is not common practice i mean i guess you could say it is given the amount of tigers that are kept in captivity in the u.s but um so this is where i think i disagree with you but i mean i i I see what you're saying but the thing is i watched an interview with you remember the the one producer that was ripping cigs in whatever restaurant being interviewed he had an interview with uh with someone else on a podcast i can't recall now but he said the show was started off as being something completely centered around animal abuse and that issue of big cats held in captivity, which kind of surfaces at the end when, you know, when they show some of the numbers and the statistics. But then the, 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 the guy said the producers of the show quickly realized that the mess and the shit fucker that was going on around the tigers was a lot more appealing to the public than the issue of animal abuse, which I feel like is is in a way you know we we've seen that before you know we we hear it sometimes or ads on tv but you know what what everybody's talking about is carol baskins or tiger king or his many many husbands you know all, all of that you know the, the the issue that is clearly because that's what the show ended up being centered on these characters yeah. it ended up being like a drama show Listen, almost I- I see where you're coming from. Like, again, this is all my perspective, but yeah, think about yeah. everybody that like argues and I'm saying in this specific situation, there's definitely animal cruelty everywhere. You know, like I don't agree with animal cruelty, but what I am saying is that when you, you as a human, when you look at an animal, you're thinking like when you feel bad for that animal, like these tigers, for example, you are perceiving these tigers to have the exact same cognitive thinking that you have tigers like i'm pretty sure humans are like the only like living species on the planet that are like aware of the fact that they're going to die one day like there's no like connection between like our thinking process and their thinking process yes well this is obviously a lot more i'm not saying that tigers are stupid i'm not and i'm not saying that they like wouldn't be happy or would be sad like either way in captivity. I'm not saying that they enjoy captivity, but what I'm saying is that like, like the level of like sympathy that we give to animals that are not humans, like maybe it's too much sometimes because they can't comprehend like 100% what's going on every single time. You know what I mean? I totally see what I'm saying is like, what I'm saying is like, do I agree with animal captivity? No. 
I don't believe that we should be keeping other animals for the entertainment of humans. What I am saying though is that like if there's an endangered species, let's say the tiger, and they're being kept in an area where they can repopulate and you know bring that species back up, or like other conjunctions, like legitimate like foundations that are like actually letting these tigers like live in these big areas. I can't name any off the top of my head. But what I am saying is I agree with that because that species would be extinct if they were in the wild right now, you know? Now, I'm not saying that humans aren't the reason why they would be extinct, you know, like poachers and things like that. But what I am saying is, like, captivity to an extent of, like, repopulation and freedom, I agree with. Like, I think that that's, like, a practical procedure. But for the purposes of entertainment, I don't agree with it. Yeah, well. That makes sense. I see what you mean. And there are plenty of species, I think, around the world where the fact that they're endangered has us looking at them with a, with a magnifying lens and has us looking for ways for them to not go extinct. And in some ways that may require some sort of, I don't know, like forced breeding or whatever you want to call it. But clearly as it pertains to Tiger King alone, that comes after like the issue of them be going about to go extinct comes after the fact that a lot of these people, you know, whether you're talking about Joe exotic or Carol Baskins, they are keeping them for, for some, you know, call it a zoo purpose or any sort of entertainment purpose. Then, you know, take, take out whatever Joe Exotic did for a second. You know, at the end of the day, what, what they're doing has a lot in common because they're both making money off of uh, the big cats in one way or another. They're getting exposure in one way or another. But because of that, then the issue really comes to light. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. it's not like because they were already going extinct, they are holding them in captivity so that they can prevent them from going extinct. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, lay my uh, my hope in Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins to save the tigers, if that makes any sense. You know? Yeah, I was just I was just making like a broader like accusation about the whole situation. Like, yeah, these like who in the right mind will let a bunch of hillbillies like keep a bunch of tigers and bump fuck Kansas, you know, like that already sounds like a, there are, there are laws, there are laws that allow it, or I guess lack of laws that don't prevent it in in a sense. And I think Oklahoma was, was one of those States where, where you can have. Were they in Oklahoma? Was it Kansas? Was it Oklahoma? It was in Oklahoma. Okay. Oklahoma bump fuck hillbillies in Oklahoma, same situation, but Uh, we apologize to our Oklahoma fans out there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, anyways, one thing you okay. Let's talk about the real, the real like what the hell is going on. Okay, we, we I'm telling you, Carol Baskin killed her husband. I don't even want to argue about that. That's not what I'm about to say. Okay, but her new husband. Think about it. How much of a cuck is this guy being with her? Like, she she like has a leash around his neck. That's what I was like, what is going on with this dude? I mean, do you see the photos that go around with like him, like in like the little tiger outfit and she's literally got him on a leash. That was their wedding. So, I mean, that clearly symbolizes what that marriage is when it really comes down to it. What is she tying to like a chain, like in their basement when they're not on TV? Look, like I, I don't know how on earth they got around each other or how one, found the other I'll go, both far, cat freaks, dude. I'll go as far as say attractive but um 
that even okay she's obviously very shady i mean that comes across very vividly in the show but even him i mean there's something you know he 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 tries to come across as this sort of victim where some crazy hillbilly is trying to get his wife killed but dude he looks like the kid that got bullied in high school and then like tried to like redeem like something about his youth through like some sort of foundation or like some sort of like heroic ideology in the future so like him like being a part of the big cat rescue like like that's him beating the bully you know the future bully that he like you know symbolism or something i don't know metaphor i don't know what the correct terminology is but like he perceives joe exotic as the bully and like you know now he's strong enough to beat the bully or maybe you know we could look at this and this is my final i don't want to talk about striking for for any longer but this is my final point on this is that maybe just maybe, you know, everybody is saying that this guy is on a leash as a cuck and all of this other stuff, which can be easily argued and believed given what we all He's saw. A cuck. He's a cuck. But think about this, okay? Carol Baskins made a fortune off of her first husband's quote-unquote disappearance. I mean, I don't know what this new guy's background was, but he is living large as fuck, okay? You know, he doesn't have to worry about money for the most part at all. You know, the only kind of action he, he, he got was this supposed death threat. And I'm not saying that he had this master plan to, like, marry her only to share the wealth or whatever else. But maybe there's, a, there's an underlying uh, aspect to this guy that maybe is not as gullible or dumb-looking, whatever you want to call it, as he comes across at, at first sight. Does that mean? Can you buy yeah, it? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I still think he's a cuck, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. she definitely wears the pants in their relationship. But I don't know, man. Like, everybody's just talking about this Tiger King. Like, Although people, I feel like, like it, it's almost already not going away, but it's not like, you know, the, the curve has flattened, so to speak, with Tiger King. I remember a week ago, that's all everybody was talking about. And now, you know, there are memes, obviously, and there will be memes for a while, but. You know, it's yeah. not as probably because there, there is just other stuff. You know, you can't. If people, yep. If people wanted to get in, like watching like a weird show, like I think I think Tiger King's a weird show or Big Cat Rescue, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> you should watch the show My Strange Addictions. So I was watching this like a little clip like the other day. And I think I've seen clips of it to be honest. Bro, there's literally a scene or like an episode where like a woman's like addicted to sniffing gasoline. And she's been sniffing it since she was like 13 and just has a bottle of gasoline always with her. See, like, that sounds sniffing. like a perfect two like, you want to talk about some 5 a.m. window, shit. two to 5 a.m. window. If you're not trying to fall asleep, that'll make time go by really quickly. And maybe sniffs. Yeah. Oh, well, have you sniffed gasoline before, Luca? You sound like you've been sniffing it. I mean, any, anytime you go to the gas station, you can smell gasoline. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, so between two and 5 a.m., that's when you sniff gasoline. Like you go and pump your car and sniff it. No, that's when you would watch that kind of show because I wouldn't watch that in broad daylight. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> I, see, I thought you were talking about like sniffing it. I was like, no, what? no. I was like, between 2 and 5 a.m. I don't know what you're going to do with 2 and 5 a.m. I'm sniffing no. gasoline. Um, okay. Um, let me switch gears to this since um, this is the Odd Pod, by the way. You listen to the Odd Pod here with Tom Kicker. Um, it's obviously a sports podcast. So uh, I want to ask you about your. Buffalo Bills. Well, first of all, 
takeaways from this past season? I know it didn't end the way you wanted to, and I'm not saying you were gonna you were, you were gonna make the Super Bowl, but you know, what was your takeaway from that? Good see, it was a good season. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's a good season. It just like my only thing is I don't like the way that the whole NFL sets up like the games. I personally think like the NFC and the AFC, like they should be playing normal games, like going back and forth. I think they should make this a longer season or maybe two games a week. I mean, you're a professional athlete and you want to play against all those other teams. Like I'm sure the Bills or or Josh Allen won't play against half of those teams in the NFC or whatever. In his career, in his career, I personally think, or unless he joins over one of those teams, but I mean, like, waiting until the playoffs to play one of those teams is ridiculous. I think that that was a big hindering factor to what's been, what happened in the playoffs. Um, I think what happened in the playoffs was bullshit, you know, JJ Watts and all that. I think that just like that last, I mean, if you remember that last play that happened, I, I, I can't remember every single player's names cause I don't give a shit about that team, but <laughs> Texas. Um, I just remember that maybe it was like an interception or like a, a pass that, like Poyer maybe should have tackled – okay, this is what happened. I can't remember who the receiver was, or maybe it was their tight end. But they, the, the quarterback threw the ball, and then, like, two of the Bills, like, missed tackling this dude. And then he got, like, a shitload of yards, and then, like, their quarterback, like, ran it. And then, like, they – I can't remember if they ended up getting a field goal or whatever because it was so long ago. But Yeah, and this is what I'll say about that play. And a lot of people wanted to give credit to Deshaun Watson for escaping – two people trying to tackle him. But let's be honest. If you play in the NFL and you got two dudes going at one, I mean, something went wrong. How do you escape yeah. that? You know, these are 300 plus pounders going at Deshaun Watson, who maybe clears 230. I'm going to be generous here. 230. I mean, he's not a big dude. He's a skinny dude, relatively. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously he, he went on that run and then set up the field goal to win it. But... Um, What's the atmosphere, I would say, around the Buffalo Bills up there? Is there, is there, I guess, a renewed energy? And I'm not saying the kind of energy that there was around in the 90s when they were going to Super Bowls, but is there like a new, maybe renewed uh, oh, faith I in the team? I would say that, you know, if you talk to a true Buffalo Bills fan, every year is like the year, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, Bills, Bills Mafia didn't get its name by accident. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, going to the Bills games are ridiculous. They're crazy. I think it's also just, like, the location, too. Like, you'll, we'll go to – like, my very first Bills game I was in, when I was in college, like, it was, like, the, the winter wipeout or whatever it was called. It was just, like, a crazy storm. I couldn't even see the field, and yet the Bills played, and then they beat the Colts. Like, it was The awesome. stadium was packed, right? Um, it wasn't packed because it was pretty damn cold, but, like, <laughs> there were tickets for, like, eight dollars or something like that so yeah. it was like they were cheap but were, uh were, were people still jumping on tables even with that much snow people were shirtless like at the game like <laughs> it was crazy Jesus. it was cold i was wearing two layers and i was freezing but um oh, wow. yeah, the, the, the i think that like the the fact that like the bill stadiums and literally like i'm sure it used to be a, just a giant cornfield or something like that like there's yeah. not like a lot of buildings and stores and like, you don't have to worry about like being too loud because it's not in a city. It's, I mean, it's obviously Buffalo, but like it's a huge area that like doesn't have like major, like there's nothing around you know, it. landmarks right next to it. So yeah. plus, I mean, I feel like every time the bills play at home, sort of this 
the city stops, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Everybody's just into it. What I will say is I really do have a lot of good faith in this year. Um, you know, we got that Vikings wide receiver. Oh, Stephon um, Diggs. Dude, he's, he's a pretty good receiver. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he can have his moments and maybe – uh, you got to hope that he, he gets the chemistry going with Josh Allen pretty quickly. But for the most part, when he wants to play, he's, he's a pretty damn good receiver. Uh, yeah, and I honestly, like, just with everything going on, I haven't really paid attention to too much of his statistics and such things like that. But what I'm going to say is this. You know, we knew pretty early on that Josh Allen was going to have a road journey to be, you know, the best he can be, you know, it's not like we can expect some kid out of college to just immediately just like win every single game. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It's obviously happened multiple times in the NFL, but what I am saying is like, like if we're going to train him and really have him be like a franchise quarterback, like, which I think he has the potential to be, to be honest. Oh, he's going to be, you know, like I think that the team, there was a lot of potential last year, you know, I think that people, don't realize though that we fucked up a lot offensively. Yeah, we are that's strong defensively though. That defensively like, you were stout. And okay, yeah, you also, you did have. Let's put it in context. Last year you did have a, a pretty easy schedule, but still, I mean, you ended up winning. What was it? Ten games or eleven games? I don't even remember. Um, the but the, the thing is, it it really looks like some of the shortcomings were on offense and. Um, I think, you know, with somebody like Stephon Diggs, which clearly gets the defense's attention next year, because people are going to have to plan around. Like, Stephon Diggs is the kind of guy that you got a game plan around, unlike maybe Cole Beasley that you had, or, you know, something along those Cole lines. Cole Beasley's good. He's a good player. He, he is really good. Or, um, or yeah, even John Brown. John Brown's pretty good. Um, yeah, really good. But uh, what, what I'll say is this. I think if Josh Allen – Josh Allen can be – a bigger threat with his feet. And I'm not saying he's going to be Lamar Jackson, but he's done it at times where he's able to escape the pocket. He's pretty athletic. You know, if the defense has that in mind, maybe he has a little bit more time to focus on throws, which is clearly the weakest part of his game, at least for now. You know, like accuracy hasn't been there at times. But he has a cannon cannon of an arm. He does, but the problem is, and this has just been consecutive with most of the Bills, like, quarterbacks. Again, like I don't, I haven't really watched too much of Jim Kelly, like every single game or looked back, but like, right. like Tyrod Taylor, like they're, they're a short game running team, you know? And the thing is, is that Josh Allen, you know, he has thrown the ball very far before. And like some of the, some of them have been picked, you know, I know that you for some reason love like Aaron Rodgers and that shit show of a team, but <laughs> You know, hey, when you watch hey, Aaron hey, Rodgers, hey, careful, careful, careful. When you watch says. Aaron Rodgers and he's just bombing these throws, like literally throwing missiles just as far as he can, and they're passing and making those catches, like you're not going to see that with Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen isn't built that way. But I don't think a lot of people realize, too, he's a big-ass quarterback. He, he's I like 6'5 like, or something, yeah, right? He's huge. I mean, like like he he can run the ball fast. and I think That's that, what I mean. He, he can see over the D-line. We have a great. He can see over it. We have a great defense. We can stop them from getting crazy points if we just work on our short. I mean, like, yeah, like I think that it's great to have like a quarterback that has like consistency in both short and long game. But the thing is, is like, if you're bad at long game, the NFL is not the time to just immediately start picking that, you know, like skill up. Like you have to be either good at it or bad at it. And you know, yeah. the Bills. But maybe you know. Have- 
quarterbacks that are are great at short game, but they're not like the best at like long game. And that's just what how somebody could come back to you with is, and maybe this is a factor, you know, you, you got to think about this also. And it's something that I, I think the Packers also, or any really North team has to think about, you know, once you get later in the season, like past mid November, um, when it starts to get windy and snowy and rainy, uh, you want to have that good, run game to rely on and I guess especially when your quarterback isn't a great thrower that run game gets emphasized even more you know what I mean so let me ask you this who do you think Packers or Bills who do you think it's more affected by weather conditions I want to say Bills Uh, we're practically Canada at the like where we are well that's not that okay great you know Green Bay is is like further up north I know I know but Buffalo gets all the lake effect and the wind, most importantly. You know, in Green Bay, it might get a lot colder and it might, you know, even snow more. I don't know. But in terms of wind and it being so – I mean, that I've been told uh, and I've read that, you know, inside that stadium, sometimes there can be some sort of, like, wind tunnel almost. That sort of the wind gets caught and then you really – your only option really is to run the ball if your quarterback is not a sniper. Yeah, I just don't understand why, like, and I'm including the Bills in this statement, but I don't understand why, like, these weather, these horrendous cities with, like, crazy weather, you know, like, you know, why don't they build indoor stadiums? Like, that would just make it fair. Well, it would make it fair, but also when you think about it from the perspective of the home team, um, think about, okay, think about the Miami Dolphins, okay? They practice in basically summer weather all year long, you know, I guess they can recreate some form of like cold weather conditions. You know, they have indoor facilities and everything, but they got to go from that to, and I'm not saying the Dolphins are any good, but you know, any team that practices in warm weather or under a dome, they got to go up to Buffalo, Green Bay and Chicago and Seattle and all of these teams up North Mm -hmm. where, where the conditions are not ideal. So, you know, if you're the home team in a way, you're used to that. But at the same time, you know, it snows for both teams and, you know, it can only have so much of an impact, but it certainly has an impact. And it also has to do with, I think, you know, history and tradition. Like I don't see the Packers getting an indoor stadium anytime soon. I don't want to jinx any of this, you know, I'm going on the record, but there's just, there's a uh, factor. There's almost an aura to going to, Lambeau or to going to Chicago like these are historic places and even Buffalo I'll go so far and say like when you think about going up to Buffalo like you're not thinking about going to play under a dome if you're going there past November you're going to be in a in a snowball fight yeah no I get what you're saying yeah okay which it's I just think it's too early to really kind of place any prejudgment I mean, on the Bills, on the Packers, I mean, all I'm going to say is we're going to be the AFC East champions. Like, that's a no-brainer this year. Like, Okay. Is, 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 this, is this a prediction you're making? Can I... This is just a mission statement. Like, it's okay. going to happen. Like, I think, the, I think the Patriots are, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of adjustments to the Patriots because even though, like, Tom Brady's kind of like, kind of like, past his highlighted career. Some people might argument, argument like, you know, he's still at his peak. I don't care, whatever. Let's just use this as a statement. 
even when Tom Brady fucks up, when he wants to pass, when he wants to throw, when he wants to run it, whatever, his team, like, kind of, like, goes around whatever he decides. The thing is, is that this new quarterback, they're going to have to, like, work around how he plays football. You know, he might yeah. be a shitty thrower. He might be thinking completely different. And, you know, they don't know how that's going to work yet. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Like, We'll have to see. And I really hate all of these people uh, trying to predict how it's going to go. You know, uh, in, in my last podcast, I said, no matter what, what happens, it looks like Brady is going to get the shred of the stick. Uh, even if he does well, but that's a, a separate conversation. But what I'll, what I'll say is this, all these people are trying to translate what he did in New England in, in Tampa. I mean, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. First of all, you got to think work. about it. You, you got to think about, it's almost like he has been under one system, one schedule, one set of rules for the last 20 years. And now all of a sudden he is almost a rookie again, you know, obviously not, but, He's almost a rookie in the sense that he's got to learn a whole new playbook you know, from, from scratch and get used to completely new receivers and new, you know, offensive strategies and philosophies and checks and, and all this other stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so early. Plus they haven't, they haven't even drafted yet, you know, teams. And I'm not saying that the a draft is going to make or break a team, but what I'll say is that, you know, a draft is a pretty important component of a makeup of the team. And yeah. at, at least wait until that. Plus, we don't even know if games are going to start on time. You know, what if we have a short season? Or what if, say, without fans or, you know, anything along those lines? I mean, obviously, people are hungry for content and they got to find something to talk about. And Tom Brady is what everybody seems to want to hear about the entire time. But you're completely right. I mean, it's 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 April. It's mid-April. Okay, bro. This is the same situation with George or uh, Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan. You know, I, I can't remember what teams he, but he like left the Bulls and then like played for was it the Milwaukee Bucks? Was it or no? He went. He played for the Bulls. Then he retired for a year and a half. Then he played for the Bulls again, and then he retired. And then he went to play in Washington for the Wizards. But that was a that shit was, show. That was a shit show. Yeah, it was messy. Exactly, and like. No, and this kind of goes back to, you know, what I was saying about series. When it's over, it's over. You know, don't ruin something when it was good. Don't let some – people remember things that were bad a hell of a lot better than when they remember something good. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if – I'm not saying that Brady is not going to win games in Tampa. I'm sure he's going to win some games. But what I'll say is if – if it doesn't go as well, if they're like 500 or like barely 500 or anything along those lines – that's going to stick in people's mind. And they're going to say, oh, as soon as he got out of the Patriot system, all of a sudden he struggled. And then they're going to point to his age and the fact that he wasn't a new system and all this other stuff. But I mean, you know, and I'm not saying his last memory as a Patriot was good because he ended his career on a pick six against the Titans. But still, you know, six, like what else do you have to prove? Uh, I, I really don't get, don't get it. He's turning 43 in a few months, but um, I don't know. Well, uh, let me just say this has been, uh, it's been a ton of fun. Thank you for coming on the pod. Uh, yeah, dude, I know it's <laughs> just been talking for like, I don't even, is it, what has it been an hour? 
45. I haven't even kept track of time, uh, but uh, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed every minute of it as I did. And I hope to get you on soon. So uh, any, any last words besides go Bills? Um, you know, just, I don't really have anything much to say because everybody's in the same boat as me, you know, just everybody hang in and, you know, wait till, wait till that moment when they're like, all right, children, it's recess. You can finally go back out and everybody's just fucking going, man. Everybody's having a great time. Oh, when yeah. that moment happens, that's going to be a great moment in history because everybody's going to be going crazy. I feel like there's, like, the, there, there's almost a build up to it. Maybe that's what the twenties were like, you know, like they, you know, like everybody says the roaring twenties were so awesome and so party. Yeah. Well, after like six months of not partying, what do you think I'm going to want to do as soon as I get out of this house? Party my ass off. I think that that was meant to happen. Minus yeah. that. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Well, this is the end of our fantastic interview. I hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, segment number three coming up next. The hottest topic of the day. More on that. The odd pod. Okay, third and final segment of the week. You've been waiting for it. It is the hottest topic of the day, sponsored by yours truly. So this week's hottest topic of the day has to do with the Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2020. You all know how it went. A few days ago, um, the 10 inductees were announced, and obviously among them were... Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, and Tim Duncan. This is probably as good a class as maybe there has ever been. You all know the stats. You know, 48 combined all-star appearances, 11 titles, multiple MVPs, multiple final MVPs. You know the drill. The list goes on and on. But I want to point out two things about this class. And... I will start with talking about the fact that, in my opinion, this class is really spearheaded by two individuals and then a third one. And that is Kobe and Duncan are in a class of themselves. And then there's Kevin Garnett. Now, before you get on me, this is not to say that Kevin Garnett does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He absolutely does. And that is obviously not to say that everybody that makes the Hall of Fame needs to be a player of the caliber of a Tim Duncan or a Kobe Bryant. Okay, that's not, that's not what anybody is arguing here. What I'm saying is Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan were generational players, generational talents, all-time greats, once in a maybe lifetime kinds of player, okay? So I want to talk about Kevin Garnett and why we should not put him on the same level as the first two, as some people have, and maybe put his career into a little bit of context, okay? So first of all, the stats are good, okay? Almost 18 points a game, and the last few seasons he was even under 10. So uh, that probably brought that average down a little. Four assists a game, 10 rebounds a game, one and a half blocks per game in over 20 seasons. Okay. He went to the All Star game 15 times, 
nine-time All-NBA, 12-time All-Defensive Team, season MVP in 03, season MVP in 04, 2008 Defensive Player of the Year, and obviously 2008 NBA Champion. Okay, we all know what Kevin Garnett could do on the floor. He was a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. He he was a disruptor on both ends of the floor. But I believe that that same intensity with which he played and that same drive and will to win with which he played, this Mamba mentality-esque feel that there is to his game can cloud some people's judgment. So let's take a look at his entire career and you'll see that really the only reason to mention him in the same sentence as Duncan and Kobe is because they're in the same damn Hall of Fame class. But that's where the comparison stops, okay? People forget Kevin Garnett played in Minnesota. People act like he only played in Boston. and he, he No, he played in Minnesota for 12 years. So it wasn't just, you know, on his rookie contract. 12 years in Minnesota. And he did average good numbers. You know, over 20 points a game, many rebounds a game. You know, he often finished the season with double-digit rebounds. But he got out of the first round of the playoffs one time. In his last three years of Minnesota, he didn't make the playoffs at all. Then he went to Boston, and we all know how that went. 2008 champion, and then he went to the 2010 finals and lost. And he was playing on a team where people refer to their top three players as the big three, which I think is a little bit generous, not for what these players could do, obviously. Paul Pierce and Ray Allen will make the Hall of Fame. That was sort of an earlier version of a super team. But that wasn't a dynasty, the way that maybe some people have portrayed it. Because, I mean, they made two finals, again, two finals, and they only won one. And and people make it sound like the big three Celtics uh, dominated the league for for a decade. Like, that, that's just not what happened. And on, on a similar note, you guys remember what Kevin Garnett said um, probably a few months ago here? He said how the Celtics, quote, didn't give a fuck about LeBron and they broke LeBron and they made him go to Miami and form really the first super team. What? Is he serious? What the hell is he talking about? And what people point to and what I guess he is referring to is that 2010 playoff series, second round, where LeBron was accused of quitting, where... Uh, the Celtics beat the Cavs in six games. And there is that famous clip of LeBron walking out of the arena and taking his jersey off. And there will be the decision soon after that. Okay. But let me give you a quick rundown of who LeBron was playing with that year. And this is, keep in mind, an order of points per game. Okay, obviously, LeBron was first. Then there is Mo Williams, Antoine Jameson, 
38-year-old Shaq who could barely move, Telfair, Delonte West, who you all saw what happened a few months ago. He was found on the side of the street, high on God knows how many drugs. Verizhou, and the list goes on and on of basically nobodies. The Celtics, on the other hand, had a starting five, which you could argue was as good as any starting five at that time. Pierce, Allen, Garnett, Rondo, and Kendrick Kendrick Perkins. KG, what the hell are you talking about? You said yourself, LeBron couldn't beat all five of us. Yes, he's not supposed to. Okay? It's a team game. It's a team sport. Team beat teams. Okay? So, and it still took you six games to knock him out in that playoff series. So, stop this notion that, 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 that you hold yourself to this standard where people were fearing you in, in some way. And the one thing I want to go back to, um, speaking about Kevin Garnett's game, is that let's not act like Kevin Garnett revolutionized the game or even his position or carried his team to a championship, let alone multiple championships, because it just didn't happen, okay? He functioned extremely well in a well-oiled machine that was the Boston Celtics. And by the way, not to mention, do you guys remember who the Cavaliers coach was? Not many people do. Uh, The Celtics were being coached by Doc Rivers, also a future Hall of Famer and widely regarded as one of the best coaches in the NBA. Okay? So, again, nobody is here disputing Kevin Garnett's abilities at all. One of the best power forwards of all time, but we all know who the best power forward of all time is, and that's Tim Duncan. Okay? He needed an earlier version, sort of like an embryonic version of a super team to even make two finals. And they only won one. Okay? And then, once LeBron got real teammates, and oh, okay, that, that super team, that, that Heat team was stacked. We know that. But once LeBron got real teammates, um, he ended the big three in Boston for real because he knocked them out. And then the team sort of fell apart soon after. But at the same time, let's not act like the Heat were uh, invincible, okay? They went, to, they went to four straight finals. They won two, okay? 500. And they lost to a, an aging Spurs team. And I'm not going to get into it. You know, they were clearly looking for revenge after the 2013 finals. But the Heat also lost to the Mavericks, the year after that, they knocked out the Celtics. So they were very, very good, but they were not unbeatable as, as that was shown. So to wrap this up, I'm here saying Kevin Garnett should not be put on the same level as Kobe and Duncan because he just wasn't. Kevin Garnett needed some version of a super team to win anything, to even get out of the first round. Tim Duncan and Kobe won with virtually different teams, different makeups. We know that Tim Duncan won in 1999 and then in 2014. Talk about consistency. 
Um, Kobe won when he had Shaq, and then in 2010, when he had Derek Fisher and Pau Gasol and, and, and that team. Whereas Kevin Garnett's stint was a three-year time frame where they were very good, okay? No one is disputing that. They were very, very good. But he was also playing on a team with two future Hall of Famers. So um, that's the end of my first point. The second point I want to make about this Hall of Fame class, and this is not much of a point, but sort of a comment, and that is to give a quick comparison between the careers of Kobe and Duncan. And before I get into it, okay, let me preface this by saying, yes, I know they played different positions. Yes, I know that they were different players with different makeups and different sort of skills. And let me also say on a personal note that I am a Kobe fan. I I would add super fan, okay? I grew up idolizing Kobe before appreciating LeBron's greatness. So I'm not a Kobe hater by any stretch of the imagination. And also not to sound insensitive, we all know what happened here uh, a few months ago, an absolute tragedy that took the lives of nine people. But in a way, we have to pretend for a second, for the next five to 10 minutes here, that that didn't happen. Because in a lot of ways, it it put Kobe um, on an even higher level of greatness than than he was before, which which is not wrong in my opinion. But I just want to compare the two careers and try to be as objective as I can about it. And that is to say that I believe that Tim Duncan had a better career than Kobe. I think the facts speak for themselves, okay? We all know the stats, okay? They each had tremendous stats at their respective positions. They were a once-in-a-generation talent at their positions. And let's consider their career trajectories. First of all, let me just say that we have seen sort of a Kobe-esque player before that was MJ and it was it was no secret that Kobe was trying to emulate MJ and play like MJ and even talk and walk like MJ did but he wasn't better than than Michael Jordan he, he just wasn't on the other hand many people would argue that and I believe to be true absolutely true that Tim Duncan is the best power forward of all time you just can't say that about Kobe in his position. You just can't. Uh, then, when you look at Duncan's career, as I said prior, he exemplified the notion of consistency throughout a career. And that obviously doesn't mean that he has to win every single year. But the Spurs, as it stands right now, they are currently on a 20-year consecutive playoff appearance streak. And we, we have to see sort of how this season ends. You know, that, that may come to an end. But every year that Duncan was in San Antonio, they made the playoffs, okay? That is not sort of a, an all-time great achievement 
but it is pretty damn impressive. On the other hand, we know that Kobe did miss the playoffs a few times, and occasionally, you know, at times, we know that um, he had some issues with teammates. You know, the most famous or infamous of which was obviously his feud with Shaq that drove him out of town. Tim Duncan was the ultimate teammate and team player and buying into the vision that Pop um, set out for them. Okay, Duncan won finals MVP three times to Kobe's two. And I don't want to get into the Kobe-Shaq discussion here because I think that Kobe needed Shaq as much as Shaq needed Kobe. But by and large, it is in a way easy to compare their careers because, well, first, they pretty much play at the same time in the same era. And they each won five titles. They each played their entire career with one team. And they're each a top two player at their respective position. But were sometimes people get confused here and sort of don't give Tim Duncan the respect that he deserves is because he was quiet and because he played in San Antonio, which obviously doesn't have the bright lights that LA or Boston or New York might have. And also, you guys remember during Kobe's last year, he pretty much announced that that was his last year before the season started. And... Sort of every time he went on an away game for the last time, you know, that was his farewell tour. Okay, I enjoyed that. That is not um, a criticism on Kobe by any stretch of the imagination. But that was obviously flashy and made headlines and made news. People were talking about it. At the same time, the way, do you guys remember the way Tim Duncan went out? He had the Spurs put out a tweet basically saying in a um, tribute video saying that he was done playing in San Antonio. He retired the way he played, which was quietly and putting in the work. And some people could come back at me and say, well, Tim Duncan played with Manu Ginobili and, and Tony Parker. Yes, obviously. Yes, you need teammates to win, but... Um, Ginobili and Parker may not make the Hall of Fame. You know that I think that's a that's an open debate, but that's not that's neither here nor there. At the same time, uh, Tim Duncan won a championship before Ginobili and Parker got there. Not only did did he win a championship that year, he was Finals MVP in 1999 without Ginobili and Parker, and that was his second year. In the league. Basically what Patrick Mahomes did just a few months ago in the NFL. Okay? And even when Parker and Ginobili got to San Antonio, the Spurs still won immediately. And Tim Duncan was still the finals MVP in 2003. And then again in 2005. But it's not like when Parker and Ginobili got there, all of a sudden... Uh, Duncan was a role player and being carried by them. He was still the best player on the team. On a good team, extremely well coached. But he was the best player on that team. 
And there were plenty of times where uh, the Spurs went to Duncan in late game situations. So it, he wasn't just along for the ride with, um, with those two great players. Whereas, you know, Kobe's career is more up and down. And I would say there are flashes. There are really good flashes of extended periods of time. But career-wise, Duncan was a lot more consistent. Uh, Duncan won in 1999 and then in 2014. And virtually his game, obviously it improved, but his fundamentals were there the entire time. And once again, Duncan didn't really... um, have anyone that he was looking up to at least he wasn't public about it he himself revolutionized the power forward position and he became the best at it by and large that is widely agreed upon whereas kobe and i guess it's not it's not his fault that michael played before he did and that he had a higher mountain to climb but i would argue that tim duncan's career is a lot more it's a more impressive than than Kobe's. So that is the end of segment number three, the hottest topic of the day. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We ran a little over, but uh, we had the great interview with Tom Kickert in segment number two. Uh, once again, this is the Odd Pod. If you celebrated Easter, we hope you had a great Easter, and we'll see you next week.